Welcome to the Evan Roberts podcast. What a day in New York baseball. We had four games on Thursday, a doubleheader for the Yankees, a doubleheader for the Mets. I got to tell you, I love baseball. I love sitting around watching baseball all day. The Mets won twice, so I'm in a very, very chipper mood. So I'm only going to say this once because I don't want it to come across like I'm bitching because right now I have nothing to bitch about as a sports fan. The seven-inning thing still sucks. That's it. I just wanted to get that off my chest. I will not bring it up again throughout this podcast. Now, the New York Mets. There's a part of me, and I'm certainly not alone, where we're going to sit here and just wait, wait, and wait for the other shoe to drop. Because even though the New York Mets are 24-20, and and they just won three out of four against the Colorado Rockies, and they're in first place in the National League East, an incredibly mediocre division. If you care about the loss column, I do. They're five games up on their nearest competitor. But on average, they're two and a half games up in the division. Just let that marinate for a second. So despite all of that, despite holding the Rockies to two runs in this doubleheader sweep, despite winning this series... Despite all the issues every team has in this division, including the team that's coming into town, the Atlanta Braves, they just lost Marcelo Zuna for six weeks. You still are waiting for the other shoe to drop. Why? Because of this lineup. Why? Because it seems like even when they win, there's always this bad injury news that sobers you up. So I don't think that's me being negative. Because I'm not, I'm thrilled. I mean, the Mets are 24 and 20 and they're doing it now with an absolute minor league lineup. But I have to be realistic. And as we take a look at the state of the New York Mets 44 games into the season, I look at this roster, I look at who's in the lineup every day and can they maintain, can they win games during this stretch? Yeah, it's just a really, really narrow window for them to do it. You saw it on Thursday with the doubleheader sweep of the Colorado Rockies. They pulled it off. Had they pull it off? Their starting pitching, specifically in game one, Marcus Stroman, was utterly brilliant. Had they do it in game two? They pieced it together. And and I got to tell you, they've done a great job of piecing games together. Joey Lucchese was... You know, I don't even know how to define how he pitched. He pitched into the fourth inning. He put five guys on base. He walked three guys. He didn't implode. And in a seven-inning game, three and two-thirds innings is not the worst thing in the world. And look, Drew Smith got an out. Aaron Loop got three outs. Jairus Familia got three outs. Robert Gazelman got two outs. And then Jacob Barnes was able to get the last out. So they never used Miguel Castro. They never used Trevor May. And obviously Edwin Diaz was not available in the second game of this doubleheader. And yet they somehow pieced it together. And and I know what you're thinking. Well, the Colorado Rockies, we know how bad they are away from Coors Field. And look, they've got a couple of major leaguers in their lineup. Trevor Story being one who had to come out of this game. Charlie Blackman, who wasn't even in the starting lineup, and certainly Ryan McMahon. Outside of that, it ain't much of a lineup. I'd be the first to admit it. But nevertheless, the Mets still pieced it together. You don't throw it back. Here's what makes me feel good. 
I'll tell you all the things that make me feel good 44 games into the season, and we'll obviously go through the concerns and how they can somehow survive the next, I don't know, month. And that's a part of the problem. We don't know how long this is going to be until they get major leaguers back. Let's go through these good things. The starting pitching is awesome. When they're out there, Marcus Stroman, even though he cooled off there after a very hot April, for the most part, has been really good. He's got a mid-two ERA. David Peterson, I think, has pitched a lot better than his nearly five ERA. The concern with David Peterson, and this seems to happen in every start, is there usually is a moment in a game that can completely derail him. It's not always early in the game. Sometimes it's in the fourth or fifth inning. We saw it three starts ago happen in the third inning. So Peterson at times kind of looks like a major league pitcher, feels like a major league pitcher. I think in his last outing, six innings, three runs, he was solid. I know it was the one game they lost in this Colorado series, but usually when you've got a capable offense, six innings, three runs is acceptable. It is a quote-unquote quality start. We know about the brilliance of Jacob deGrom, and when Taiwan Walker has pitched and he's coming back from his short injured list, then he's been great. So you feel like you've got four between good to great starting pitchers. Obviously, David Peterson on the low end, Taiwan Walker a little higher, Marcus Stroman towards the top, and we all know about the brilliance of Jacob deGrom. There isn't much to say about Jacob deGrom other than we all just have to pray to the baseball gods he stays healthy. Because what he's done this season in the 45 innings he's thrown and the seven starts he's made is just Jacob DeGrom stuff. Though better than even Jacob DeGrom stuff because he's got an ERA of 0.80. Jacob DeGrom is so locked in and brilliant. Uh, assuming he can get through this season healthy, would it? I'm going to ask you a serious question. It's going to sound nuts, but I'm being dead serious. Would it stun you if he had a Bob Gibson year? In the year of the pitcher, 2021, would it stun anybody if Jacob DeGrom finished with a 1-2 ERA? Now, if I asked that question a year ago, two years ago, it would sound absurd. I don't think in this world we're living in right now, that's an absurd question. We are living in a year, and I do think it'll be a one-off because I think they'll make adjustments next year. This is the year of the pitcher, circa 2021. Obviously very different looking than 1968, but I think we're going to have some statistical anomalies this season, and one may be Jacob DeGrom having a 1.2 ERA. So their starting pitching is awesome. Here's the one that's really surprising. And there's a part of me that thinks they can legitimately keep this up, and that's the bullpen. Edwin Diaz has been, I'll say good. Not going to say great. I'm going to say he's been very good this season. He still is a guy that scares the crap out of you, but he's been good. Miguel Castro has been mostly good. Trevor May has been mostly good. Jairus Familia's been good. Aaron Loop has been, you know, he's had his moments up and down. But right now, the Mets have five good relief pitchers. And that doesn't include Seth Lugo, who's on his way back. And honestly, I could squeeze out more because Sean Reed Foley, whenever he's pitched, has been really good. He's got like 18 strikeouts to one walk. Now, he's been used in more of an extended role, but he's been good. In the short sample size of being here, Drew Smith has been good. And again, I understand it is the year of the pitcher, but the Met bullpen, which is always a bugaboo, it's always an issue, has not been an issue this year. And believe it or not, 
I kind of have confidence it's going to remain a non-issue. Especially the return with Seth Lugo. Those things are positives. I think the other positive is this is a much better defensive team. I'll spend some time on Francisco Lindor in a little bit because he is a headline in a lot of ways for this offensive failures. He's been great defensively. I sit on the air with Craig on June 1st, and I even wrote it down. I said June 1st will be the day where we can really decide what a guy is defensively. Because I always say this, you can't, I'm certainly not the only one who has said this, you can't judge a guy defensively until you watch him every day. I don't buy the defensive metrics. They tend to be wildly inaccurate because I watch a lot of guys every day and then I compare it to the defensive metrics and a lot of times it doesn't pass the smell test. So I'm not anti-analytics. I'm not anti-new age stats. What I am, though, is anti-defensive metrics because so far they seem to lie a lot. That's all. Maybe someday they'll be great. Maybe there'll be a day in which I say these defensive analytics are fantastic. In 2021, they suck. So we are days away from June 1st, and Lindor is great defensively. I'm not going to say a bad word about him. I mean, look, has he had his errors that you can cite? Sure. Everybody does. No one's saying he's Ozzie Smith, but he is a gold glove caliber shortstop. He made a great defensive play on Thursday against Colorado. One of those highlight reel sports center plays. And for the most part, he's been very good defensively at shortstop. And overall, this is a a good defensive team, a better defensive team. That'd probably be the best way to put it. And what's crazy is with a lot of these injuries they're dealing with, in some ways, they've gotten better defensively. Khalil Lee may not be much of a hitter, but we've already seen him make a couple of marvelous catches in right field. Jonathan VR, for the most part, plays a better defensive third than J.D. Davis. When Alonzo was healthy, you saw clear improvement from him defensively at first base. I think Dom Smith looks like a much better defensive left fielder. And for the limited time he was out there, Brandon Nimmo looked like a better defensive center fielder. And we all know the defense behind the plate is better. Plus, the Mets have a lot of pitchers, led by Stroman and DeGrom, who are really good defensively. So, pitching, great. Defense, great. The one thing about the starting pitching that's concerning, and I want to jump back to that because I'm going through all the positives, but let me start to now leak in the negatives and the things that can derail this over the next month until they get healthier. The starting pitching. Here's the issue. The issue is we have said in the back of our minds, Carlos Carrasco, Noah Syndergaard, they're coming back. So to go along with Jake, Stroman, Walker, and maybe Peterson. You have a fifth guy, maybe even a sixth guy when everybody's healthy. We are now sitting here going into Memorial Day weekend. You cannot plan on Noah Syndergaard pitching in 2021. We all have to be honest with ourselves. And we could have another podcast talking about what to do with Noah Syndergaard. Will he be on the team in 2022? In the the argument, or the prism, I should say, of 2021, You can't count on him. And the truth is, we never should have counted on him. Because Tommy John surgery is serious business. Not everybody comes back in 14 months and looks great. You know, Matt Harvey had Tommy John surgery, and for one year in 2015, he was awesome. That's an outlier, especially when you look at what happened after that. Zach Wheeler is fascinating to me, because Zach Wheeler 
missed all of 2015, and then went out and missed all of 2016. Comes back from Tommy John after missing two full seasons and sucked in 2017. Not criticizing, he just wasn't very good. He finally gets, I think, shut down in August. Then it all came together. Remember that second half of 2018? Kind of got forgotten about because Jake was so good that year. And Zach Wheeler is one of the better pitchers in baseball. Three years, two not pitching, one mediocre before Zach Wheeler fully returned from Tommy John surgery. So we were naive. We were naive to think Noah Syndergaard was going to be able to contribute in 2021. So I'm telling you right now, and this is not being negative. This is being realistic. When a guy is coming off Tommy John surgery, got to put him out of your mind. And I'd say the same thing to the Yankees about Severino. I wouldn't even think about him now. Fingers crossed, comes back healthy. And look, if all of a sudden in July, you're a Yankee fan and they say Severino's ready, great. Hope for the best. Just don't expect it. So with Syndergaard being shut down for six weeks and then throwing again, let's he's not pitching in 2021. He isn't. So now you get to Carlos Carrasco. Boy, I'll tell you, that Lindor trade looks... I know it's only, it's early, you know, for Lindor, we've got 11 years. And for Carlos Carrasco, another year after this, that trade has paid no dividends as far as what the expectations were. And now I don't even know when to expect Carlos Carrasco. So if you take him out of your mind with the hamstring issue, you, yes, you have four starters and that's great. It really is. I like the four starters the Mets have. Assuming they can all stay healthy, and obviously DeGrom's had an IL stint, and Walker's had an IL stint. But they do not have pitching depth. And they've shown you that by how they've tried to kind of manage around not having starting pitchers. Now, I haven't watched them, but Zapuki's numbers in Syracuse ain't bad. Now, he's only made three starts, so I don't know what to draw from that, but there ain't much else. At least with him, he's on the 40-man roster. But we've seen Jordan Yamamoto. Now we're not going to see Jordan Yamamoto because he's on the 60-day injured list. Obviously, Joey Lucchese is a part of this. We're going to piece it together strategy. But let's face it, what's the most you're ever going to get out of Joey Lucchese? Down in Miami, throws four brilliant innings and Luis Rojas pulled him. Because they know that's as much as you're going to get out of him. So when you're playing a nine-inning game, you best hope that around those Lucchese bullpen day outings, you got a lot of innings from Jake, Stroman, Walker, Peterson, because you know once every five days, you are going to have to have bullpen days because Joey Lucchese's a bullpen day. Let's call like it is. Sean Reed Foley, if he's your bulk guy, it's a bullpen day. And look, it's worked. It hasn't been bad because the Met arms have, for the most part, pitched well. But they have no starting pitching depth. It's all gone. Syndergaard's not coming back, or at least you shouldn't expect him back. God knows with Carlos Carrasco at this point. And they haven't shown any willingness to call a kid up like Zapuki from AAA and say, all right, we'll let him be a traditional starter. So that's my concern. Can they get by with those four guys and then every fifth day mixing and matching? I think they can. It's tough, though. Like I mentioned, you really better hope 
that you don't have David Peterson blowing up where he pitches an inning and a third, and you got to use your bullpen around one of these bullpen days. But what really concerns me is if there's another injury in the rotation. And we saw that over the last week. That's why they had to have back-to-back bullpen days, essentially, down in Miami. So they really need, with Walker coming back, and obviously Jake and Stroman and Peterson, they need these guys to stay healthy. Now, I haven't mentioned the offense because I don't know what to expect. And the answer is, well, I do know what to expect. Expect nothing. Because the lineups we have seen the last few days, and this is not a rip of Luis Rojas, he is dealing with kind of the hand he's got right now, is not Major League worthy. When you look at this lineup, there is... Dom Smith is still kind of a mystery. We don't know what Dom Smith is. Guy had an amazing year last year. Hasn't hit a home run in what feels like forever. Has not been the extra base hit machine he was a year ago. So we don't even know what Dom Smith truly is. So the only major leaguer or everyday starting major league caliber player that's in their lineup right now is Francisco Lindor. And he continues to be mired in this massive mind-boggling slump that won't end. I mean, it is amazing to me that it is now May, late May. It's Memorial Day weekend. It's that time of the year where you really can judge what a player is. And he's hitting 185. He is blowing away the competition in terms of guys that have come to New York and failed early on. He is making Robbie Alomar, Jason Bay. I I can't believe we even considered Beltran having a bad year in 2005 when you look at his numbers compared to Lindor. And I try to be patient. I really do. I try to be rational. But at what point are we supposed to say, I'm concerned. I don't know what's going on. Now, I'm not telling you I'm concerned about the next 10 years. I'm focused on this year. I'm focused on 2021. And, you know, forget about what Lindor's final numbers are. I think he is setting himself up to have, you know, it's going to be impossible for him to 250. (laughs) You know, forget his career 280 batting average. He is hitting almost 100 points lower than his career batting average. And we are a quarter into the season. But I don't care about that. I don't think anybody else does. I'm not sitting here worried about what his numbers are going to be at the end of the year. What I'm worried about is, is he ever going to get out of it? Because if there is ever a time where they need him to get out of it, it's right now because there's nobody in the lineup. And there's no one coming back. That's the crazy part. That's why, you know, as happy as I am that they swept a doubleheader against the Colorado Rockies, as happy as I am that they're in first place, I always try to be realistic. And realistically, I, I I don't know with this lineup, with Peraza, VR, McCann playing first base, an outfield that is mind-boggling to watch. Cameron Mabin cannot buy a hit. I don't know if he's ever going to get another major league hit. Khalil Lee, Brandon Jury being forced to play the outfield. They obviously just made this trade for McKinney, who's going to play every day mainly because he's good defensively. I don't know how you survive with this. Because even with these wins against Colorado, they did it winning one nothing. Are they going to be? And even the 4-2 game, how many bases loaded walks did they have in the game? It's almost as if they scored those four runs because the Rockies are just so inept. 
And as you face better teams, they're not just going to hand you runs. By the way, one thing about Lindor, I always, and I've brought this up a lot over the years, I've talked about Jeter. And what I mean by Jeter is Derek Jeter in 2004 had this awful start. I mean, it was unbelievable how bad he was. And at that point, Jeter's a 29-year-old guy. So similar to Lindor, Lindor's a little bit younger, 27 years old. Jeter has already had this you know, great start to his career. And I want to specifically tell you where he was in comparison to Lindor because it's not that far off, as crazy as it sounds. Derek Jeter's last day of his slump, and I'll never forget it because I happen to be at the games. Uh, they played a three-game series in Baltimore. And I went there, and I knew Jeter was slumping. And I remember sitting there at Camden Yards and seeing his batting average well under 200. He was hitting 189. That's where he was. So kind of where Lindor is. I mean, very, very similar spot. I'm trying to remember the home runs and RBIs. I bet you the home runs were similar. Jeter probably had a bunch more RBIs, but it couldn't have been that far off. Now, I want to tell you when it was, just so you have an idea, because we're in late May. Derek Jeter's hot streak began on May 26th. So we are at the moment, at that point, where Jeter salvaged this season. And what Jeter did was he got so freaking hot. He didn't get to 300, but he finished at 290, which is amazing. I mean, think about it. He's sitting there on Memorial Day hitting under 200. So look, it's possible to raise your numbers but what it's going to take, and this is what excites me, not Francisco Lindor raising his average to 280. I don't care. It's if he is going to raise it to 290, he's got a lot of hits to get. And Jeter got red hot in that series in Baltimore. Had, I mean, it must have been eight or nine hits in that series and took off. Lindor needs that. He not only needs that for his stats, he needs it for the Mets because there's nobody else. Because this lineup, which we mock when we see it every day before a game starts, it's not changing. You know, Pete Alonso may come back soon. That's it. Jeff McNeil and Michael Conforto are going to be out another month. J.D. Davis hasn't picked up a bat again. And by the way, the guys they need the most are outfielders because Peraza's been all right. Dom can play first base. McCann's obviously moved over to play first base. VR has been all right. He's been playing third. Their problem is outfielders. Like if you said to me right now, of all the position players that are out, who do you need back the most? You're going to think I'm nuts for saying this because he wasn't having the greatest year. It's probably Conforto because they need outfielders. Right now, other than sticking Dom out there, which they still do. And by the way, the reason they still do that is for what I'm saying because they don't have outfielders. So despite Dom's best position being first base, the reason he's playing left field is because they don't have outfielders. They had an outfielding game too of Billy McKinney, Cameron Mabin, and Dom Smith. They're playing Patrick Mazika at first base. So survival's going to be tough because this lineup's not getting any better. You know, the Mets scoring three runs a game, and I understand they were not scoring a lot of runs prior to injuries. We all understand that. But I think there was this hope of, well, McNeil will get hot, Conforto will get hot. These guys are major leaguers with a track record. 
The Mets right now are staring at probably a month of a lineup that looks very similar to the lineups we've seen over the last few days. Those names I mentioned, and maybe some of those names will change because like acquiring Billy McKinney, maybe they acquire another guy who's been DFA'd, you know, those kinds of level of players. But they're averaging 3.4 runs per game. That's where they're at. That's where they're going to be at for the next month. So they have to find a way in a lousy division, and that's their reprieve, that this is such a bad division that they haven't even created a hole. We're sitting here going into Memorial Day weekend. Despite all these injuries, there's no hole. In fact, they've created a lead, which is, I mean, it's amazing. It's, it's amazing for two reasons. It's amazing they're 24 and 20. I give them credit, but it's also amazing how bad the division has been. But they are going to have to survive scoring two, three runs a game. I think that's what we're looking at. And for anyone, because my dad would always say, ah, you know, they'll, they'll get hot. They'll score a bunch of runs because that's baseball. That hasn't happened. I mean, you look at the road trip in Tampa, Atlanta, and Miami. You look at this four-game series against Colorado. They scored fewer than five runs in almost every game. They had the extra inning game against the Marlins where they put up six. But listen to these run totals. Going back to this road trip, two, five, one, three, four, four, six. Okay. One, one, two, three, (laughs) one, and four. Those are the run totals they're going to have to win with. Now, here's the problem. Problem is who they're about to play. These games against the Atlanta Braves are monstrous because it's divisional games. I happen to think, and I, and I think I'm in the majority on this. Uh, this is not me. It's not an outlier. The Braves are the team to beat in the National League East. I really believe that. I have believed that since before the season began, and I certainly believe it right now. Now, are the Braves a perfect team? No. But Freddie Freeman's out there playing every day, despite only hitting 240. <laughs> Ozzie Albies is out there every day, despite hitting basically 230. Ronald Acuna is out there every day. Marcelo Zuna is now hurt, which is a big blow. He was off to a cool start. Austin Riley looks like a star. Bottom line is they have a lot of bats in their lineup. They're pitching. I mean, it's not bad. Charlie Morton, Ian Anderson, Max Freed looks pretty good now all of a sudden. They took a huge blow with that Yanoa injury. I feel horrible, horrible about what's going on. With, uh, what's his name? Oh, my God. I'm, I'm brain-locking on the uh, the kid who tore up his Achilles against the Mets last year. Who was really good. And looked like he was blossoming into a star. Why is that name out of my head? Uh, oh, my God. Mike Soroka. There you go. Forgot about him. I feel horrible about what's going on with him. I don't know if he's ever going to be the same. But that team is a good team. That is a team who I still think will get hot at some point, and you hope it's not against the Mets. I mean, they're scoring five runs a game. They've got a very capable offense. And so this is going to be a big challenge this weekend, especially with the lineup that they have. And then they've got a trip. Now, the Diamondbacks are a mess, so that's a positive. Maybe they could take advantage of them the way they've taken advantage of Colorado. Then they play San Diego, which should be an absolute nightmare. I go to San Diego expecting to basically lose every game. 
And then you got them again at City Field in a couple of weeks. Then you've got the Cubs. Then you got the Nationals. Then you got the Braves again. Then you got the Phillies again. Look, there's a fear that this could just become a disaster because of the lineup we've talked about. Now, the good news is they've created this cushion. That's the best thing that they have going is that for some reason, somehow, they have built this cushion. But I always think back to 2018. 2018 was the first year of Mickey Calloway. Dare I mention his name? He's been banned from baseball to the end of 2022. Well-deserved. As you recall that year, the Mets built a cushion. They started the year off 11-1. We all thought Mickey Calloway was some kind of genius. And then they started playing mediocre baseball. Okay, fine, we expected that. And then they fell off the rooftop. They had put together in that season one of the worst Junes in the history of the franchise outside of 1962. They went 5-21 in the month of June. Am I suggesting the Mets are going to go 5-21 and 21 in June? I hope not, but I remember a lot of that 5-21 and 21 stretch. And do you remember what happened during that 5-21 and 21 stretch? I will tell you, they couldn't score a run. They scored a run, zero runs, a run, two runs, zero runs. They could not hit. And so it does cross in the back of my mind when we talk about We're waiting for the other shoe to drop. Would it stun any of us if the Mets continue, which we expect to score one, two, three runs a game, and then eventually just start losing because the starting pitching isn't perfect? And as we saw with David Peterson in the opener of this series, you can pitch well, but if you're not scoring any runs, you lose. Six innings, three runs is a solid performance, but the Mets couldn't score. And they couldn't do it against Austin Gomber. So the fear I have, despite what was a great series win against the Rockies, I don't care how bad Colorado is, look at the Met lineup, is this fear that they won't be able to survive this. That it will get so ugly. And so I ask this question. And I think it's a fair question. The Mets are now owned by Steve Cohen. Steve Cohen is a billionaire. And he has shown a willingness to spend. You know, we may have had some debates about how they spent during this offseason, but they gave $300 plus million to Francisco Lindor. As bad as that may look, they invested $300 plus million in Francisco Lindor. They tried to sign Trevor Bauer by essentially giving him $40 million for a year. The Mets have shown, and this owner has shown, a willingness to spend big money, and that's great. So I ask you, There are guys out there right now who you can get for nothing because they make a lot of money. In fact, the Mets just saw one of those guys. One of those guys is Charlie Blackman. Now, I'll tell you, Charlie Blackman is past his prime. Charlie Blackman is an older player. Charlie Blackman has the questions of, hey, what is he outside of Colorado? Those are all fair points. But you know what Charlie Blackman is right now? He's a major league baseball player who would simply cost you money. Now, I want to give you the numbers because I understand you screaming at the podcast saying, come on, Charlie Blackman, how could you pay this guy $21 million a year? And that's what he's owed this year. And that's what he's owed in 2022. And then in 2023, 
I'm not sure if it's a team option or a player option, but he's due a lot less. I think it's about $13 million. And Charlie Blackman's 34. Complete overpay. Not a great contract right now. In fact, let me give you the details. I I pulled it up. It's $21 million in 2022, and it's a player option. So he'll obviously say, sure, I'm in. 2023 is also a player option at $13 million. So let's figure this out. If you trade for Charlie Blackman right now, it's not $21 million because we're already a quarter of the way into the season. So it's less, 21 next year, and assume he opts in on his last year, $13 million. The Colorado Rockies would probably kick in some money to get rid of him. They would. The Rockies are going nowhere. He's 35 years old. He's making a lot of money. They would absolutely throw in some kind of money to get rid of him. If you're the New York Mets, and I am the New York Mets, and it's only money, why the hell not? Seriously, why not? And if your only answer is, he doesn't deserve $21 million, my answer to that would be, the Mets are playing Cameron freaking Mabin every day. He hasn't even dreamt of a base hit. And if you've got an owner that's a billionaire and you've got an owner that's willing to say, you know what, I'm not just going to buy every player, but yeah, I'm going to spend, then why the hell not? Why not? To quote a politician, what the hell do you have to lose? Because really, there's nothing to lose other than Steve Cohen paying him. And I don't think it would be the full amount because again, Colorado would pick it up. $15 million for a fourth outfielder. Because if that's your follow-up, well, Evan, what do you do when everybody's healthy? You know what I do when everybody's healthy? I worry about it when everybody's healthy. Because right now, this is about survival. When everybody's healthy, it could very well be too late. If the Mets have a June like they had in 2017, it will be too late. 2018. Is it 2018 or 2017? Whatever, 2018, because it was the first year of Mickey Calloway. It will be too late. If you say, I'm just going to live with Cameron Mabin and Billy McKinney and Khalil Lee, and we'll score one or two runs a game, and we'll just hope that we get perfect starting pitching and hang in it, and you know, just hope that the NLE sucks, just hope we can maintain wins because our pitching is so good. If that doesn't happen, and now the Cavalry comes back in July... It could be too late. And so that's why a guy like Charlie Blackman's a guy I bring up. Because I understand that there aren't going to be a lot of trades to be made in June. (laughs) I get it. I get it. Deadline deals happen around the deadline. But the kind of deals you can make right now, besides the acquiring a guy that was DFA like Billy McKinney, is a team like Colorado that's clearly going nowhere that'll dump you a contract where it's literally money. Because I do think it's important to survive this. Because if you can survive this, if you can be right there as this team gets healthy, and let's assume they get healthy. Now, let's be optimistic that Jeff McNeil and Michael Conforto come back, that Lindor gets hot, that Alonzo comes back, that J.D. Davis comes back, that you have the lineup we expected to go along with this pitching and to go along with this bullpen, they can win. Look, if I told you going into the season, this bullpen's going to be awesome, you'd say, wow, we can win the division. We can compete in the postseason. 
So it's about surviving. And that's the fear I have over the next month. Can they survive June? What I know right now is they have certainly survived May because the New York Mets are in first place in the National League East. And even though there may be some who don't root for these teams, the New York Islanders are going to the second round of the postseason. They had this insane drought of not being able to win rounds. Now it's, yeah, the Islanders are going to the second round. And the Brooklyn Nets are a legitimate NBA title contender. And for the Knicks fans out there, you're in the playoffs too. The moral of the story is, it's a good time to be alive. Thank you for listening to this State of the Mets edition of the Evan Roberts podcast. Obviously, check out Craig Carton and me, Evan Roberts, every day, 2 o'clock. Now simulcasted on SNY, beginning at 4 o'clock. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Evan Roberts Podcast. Goodbye.